Lacey, Lacey. We, I was, <laughs> so this fun. was a little bit more heavy and serious than I thought it'd be, but like, thank you. Thank you. It's still I'm, fun. It's still fun. Yes. Yes. I was like, how do I not make it too heavy? But like, I'm so grateful we went there. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. my vibe, folks. <laughs> no, I'm always serious. So I'm like, yes, yes. Oh, we're going to say hello. Yeah. I, I love your spirituality. And the thing that I really, the, the drum that I am beating with so many of my faith transition clients is go ahead and ditch religion. Don't ditch spirituality. You will, you're need, you need that. You need some type of connection with something greater than yourself, whether it's nature or whatever. Welcome to the Exponent 2 podcast. We are part of the Exponent 2 organization, which is a magazine, a blog, and a retreat. Uh, today, uh, we have therapist Lacey Bagley with us, who will also be the Exponent 2 Fall 2023 keynote. So we're very excited to get to hear from Lacey again in the fall for those of you who are attending the retreat. My name is Carol Ann Litstria. I am calling in from Minneapolis. I'm here with Heather Sundahl. Heather, say hi. I'm here in Provo. Yeah. Hello, hello. Ramona couldn't make it tonight. Um, our typical other co-host who is in Barbados. She's working a couple jobs. Needed a break tonight. Um, and then Heather, if you could intro our special guest, Lacey Bagley. So this is Dr. Lacey. And mm-hmm. she was one of my professors at UVU in my marriage and family therapy um, master's program. And she did such a good job of helping us as therapists be really aware of the needs of the queer community. Mm. She just lots of extra reading and extra presentations and nobody minded because it all felt so essential. So she made us work hard, but we partied hard too. Love it. Love it. Welcome Lacey. We're so, so happy to have you here. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. And yeah, and just excited that um, a lot of us will get to see you and get to know you better at the retreat next month in September, which I can't believe is coming right up. I'm Almost so exactly a month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so Lacey, tell us a little about yourself. I'm excited we have this Minnesota connection. But yeah, what is your journey of how did you go from, look, I'm this cool doctor, professor, therapist. Where did you start? How did you get here? Started as a little child. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it started in the pre-existence. No, I started, I was born and raised in northern Minnesota um, and grew up with parents who were both pretty devout Mormons Mm -hmm. and members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saint Mormons. Um, We did have some hedrakites in the area, 
for those. I don't those. know what that means, please. So it's a, a very niche branch of Mormons that followed like a guy named Brother Hedrick. I don't, it's like, I don't even remember no. the whole name, but they like branched off. And I had a good friend who um, was in this organization and like they could choose when they got baptized and they only had certain mm-hmm. um, sections of the doctrine and covenants that they followed. And it was like very unique. And so we were not that that cool branch. We were the the mainstream Mormon. Um, and I use the term Mormon throughout because that feels really congruent for me as far as yeah. identity. I was a Gordon B. Hinckley kid. Yeah. So yeah. mm-hmm. Mormonism, I like love the word Mormon. I'm a so Mormon. Mormon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Love it. And awesome. From there, do you want me to like just go? Yeah, keep going. So what did you like? What was your undergrad? Like, how did you end up in Utah as a therapist? So undergrad was at BYU-Idaho, mm-hmm. um, moved out at 18, went there, got a degree in sociology, met my husband, Evan. We've been married. Yesterday was our 15-year anniversary. Hey, Feels like a big moment. Um, and then from there, we did kind of the like follow his um, path toward education first. Mm-hmm. So we moved to Oklahoma for several years. He got his master's in geology and then worked in the oil and gas industry and then I started my master's program. Um, and then the oil and gas industry like flatlined. And so mm-hmm. then we moved to Mississippi where he taught as a professor in geology. And I was able to get my master's degree. I had to drop out the first time and oh. restart. So I have more years of master's degree than I need. Yeah. <laughs> and like I got to in Mississippi then, southern Mississippi. I got through my first year of the master's program and had a really strong um, experience with general conference that fall where it was like, like, I need to pursue this. Like, this is something I need to pursue. I, I want to pursue, like, I love knowledge and learning and a PhD program was so exciting to me instead of like daunting and scary. And it was like, well, where, and my husband and I had had an experience a couple of years before that, that like we could live in Utah and neither of us are from there. We are like, that was not our aspiration was to go back home. Like it wasn't home for us, right. but we had had the experience that like Utah is a place we need to be living. And that was like very mm-hmm. weird, but mm-hmm. I applied so that I applied to BYU's marriage and family therapy, PhD program, and then Utah States um, got into BYU. So mm-hmm. we moved here with our little family and have stayed since I graduated and I own Celebrate Therapy, um, which is a LGBTQ practice run by all queer clinicians mm. um, for the queer community here. Wonderful. And are you based in Provo or which city are yep. you in? Awesome. We're based in Provo, but we have a secondary clinic in Salt Lake now. Very cool. Ooh, expansion. Imagine. It's so Franch- franchise. <laughs> if you would like to become a celebrate hey. just ten thousand dollars mm-hmm. tell a little bit about your journey with your sexuality and and you know what that was like and what that was like coming to byu yep so kind of overlaying since you kind of have the overall arch of like where i traveled to then overlaying in high school i went to a really liberal charter school because Minnesota is one of the leading education states in the nation and like was the first state to have a charter school. 
and like really values education. So I went to a, a charter school. It was a public charter school. Um, and they were very like liberal, open-minded. My teachers did a drag show at one point. Like it was very fun. There's coffee mm-hmm. in every corner. Like it was just a good time. And Wait, unlike the U, uh, most of the Utah charter schools. So I used to teach at Walden, which is the hippie charter school. Yeah, we love yeah. Walden. Love Walden. That's where my daughter goes. My daughter goes. Oh, that's at awesome. Anyway, love Walden. So many of the charter schools. Sorry, this is a side. I'm a former school teacher. So many of the charter schools in Utah, are like Carl G. Mazur Academy, Freedom Academy, American Heritage Academy. So they're all the like hyper conservative academy. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Like take Mormonism and like integrate it into education. So there's no separation. And that is a little scary. This, then, this isn't is that like Leahona, the Leahona. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Okay. So sorry. Now imagine the hippiest version of that with okay. no religion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like, we're doing my English class in the middle of the woods. Like wonderful. Oh my gosh. I love it. Mm-hmm. I know during, during the pandemic, my daughter, our motto for Walden was, Masks are required. Shoes are optional. Ha ha ha. Yep. And oh. everybody's gay. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. We yes, had a yes. little group when I would work at Encircle. We had a little crew that would go from like Walden and like their after school program was like Encircle. Like they oh. all would just come together. Yeah. Oh. So, okay, my, so back to so your sorry. experience. You're at, you're, at, you're a cool hippie charter school. Go on. Is everyone was like playing in sexuality, not really playing in gender yet, because I was still like we're still in the like late nineties, early two thousands. Yeah. And so gender was still just like pretty fixed binary, um, with a few, very few exceptions. So it was like you could be gay, straight, or bisexual. And I was running under the assumption that everyone had a crush on like and anyone was available for a crush. Like I thought mm. everyone just operated at that level until that point when like people were like, oh no, it's just like primarily girls or primarily boys. And I was like, oh, oh, it's not like all, like you all aren't interested in all people. And they're like, no, that's weird. And I was like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, so mm-hmm. weird, so weird, mm-hmm. <laughs> not weird. Oh, yeah. But came out to myself when I was 15, mm-hmm. but didn't come out to anyone else because Mormonism, because right. it was very, I also struggle with OCD and scrupulosity. Mm. So it was like, okay, I know this information about myself. Now, what do I need to do with it? And it was like, well, you need to stay a good Mormon girl. Mm. I was like, okay, that is the path I will trod. Yeah. So interesting. These like two, two very different communities, your school community and your church community. Mm-hmm. And family, which I'm guessing is grouped into the church. and the Mormons, yeah, the Mormons, yep, yep, yeah, yeah. So even my parents now would say like, "Yeah, we knew you were queer." I'm like, so we all just knew it, <laughs> but we were just gonna like operate under the assumption that like Mormonism was the way. Like, you're gonna find a husband, and it's gonna be great mm-hmm. for you, and you're gonna have babies, and it's gonna be great for you. Did you feel like there was extra pressure almost in that way to like, if your parents, I guess it's hard to say now, but like, did you get extra, you're going to do this or like extra, like, look how bad it is to be gay messaging or? I never got the negative. Like all my friends were very welcome in my home. Like my parents, all my friends were queer. Let me me be clear about that. Like my peer group was queer people because I'm queer. So 
my my friends were very welcome my parents went to later in life my best friend got married to her wife and like went to her wedding and reception and so like very accepting mm, but like good. there was still the expectation of like how my life would go right like yeah. we are going to be mormons mm-hmm. and that's what the and this means that you are heterosexual and like follow the prescri- prescribed path yeah so at 15 you kind of know what's going on with you yeah. but you you keep it inside Yep. And then uh, the next time it came out was when I was 21, about to get married to my husband. And I was like, hey, I I would like you to know this part of me and know that I'm bisexual. And he was a good Mormon boy, returned missionary, Eagle Scout, not Mm. to brag. (laughs) It's not a brag, people. Don't make it a brag. (laughs) Um, It's a fact that like I was told to marry a certain person and I did. Right. I followed the rules. And so his little Mormon boy brain, though, was like, well, that's hot. (laughs) Great. You're fine with it. I'm fine with it. Let's move forward. (laughs) And then that was it. We we just kept it under wraps and talked about it amongst, like, he and I talked about it all the time. But, like, no one else knew anything until my master's program. And it was, like, challenged that, like, Mm. no, no, if you're going to ask people to be their authentic selves, you also have to be your authentic self. Yeah. And then I became more open slowly with different groups that I felt safe with. And then that led to, by the time I drove through the Canyon into Provo, I was, I had the very strong um, personal revelation moment of you will be openly queer here. Mm. And I was like, Oh no, 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 you're mistaken. This this is the BYU. Yeah, Yeah. We do not do that. Yeah. So you were called to queer. Ah, I was called to queer. Yes. <laughs> I love it. I love this theme of spirituality in your life. Yeah. I love that that you um are so in tune and that it works as a guide in your life, like like the Liahona. It's like a compass that helps you navigate, you know, oh, where yeah. you're going and, and how you're gonna do it. Yeah, I'm very, very tuned in is maybe like the more 70s way of saying that. Um, I'm very Mm -hmm. tuned into spirituality. I have a very strong, easy connection to spirituality and like the divine and am able to be in dialogue with it regularly. Um, Mm -hmm. And so when it comes to big moments and and shifts in my life, that is a conversation that's had with the divine before like steps are made. Mm -hmm. I love that. It's beautiful. Okay, I'm curious at BYU. Do you feel like as a PhD student, did you have more latitude to be who you are? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I had my cohort was made up of plenty of non-Mormons, never Mormons, mm-hmm. people with tattoos, okay. living with girlfriends and boyfriends and partners, and I was this like out uh, queer woman, and like all the master students were like slightly afraid of me because mm-hmm. <laughs> I like swear and be like, yeah, church on Sunday. And that fucking person, and just uh-huh. like, like in the same <laughs> sentence, and they're like, I don't, I don't think you're the same. How do we code switch? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Do you, okay. Um, I've heard rumors that BYU is getting quite tight. Do you think the PhD program will get? No. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Now, the marriage and family therapy program is 
a space for primarily people who have like done their masters. So they're practicing clinicians. So they're kind of working under the assumption that like, you're really bringing in your the professionals. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Mm-hmm. Did you feel tension in other areas of BYU? Like, did you feel like you were in a little safe island and then you wander through the Tanner building and mm-hmm. suddenly like it wasn't safe anymore? A thousand percent. Even even wandering outside of, so my program is couched mostly in uh, the Taylor building, which is slightly off campus. It's the comprehensive clinic. So they have like uh, speech pathology is in there and social work is in there. And mm-hmm. one of the, I don't know if it still is, but at the time the LDS uh, counseling services was there. So we were all together. So even if I moved outside of my program and outside of the like PhD part of the program, I had a lot of resistance to when I like wanted to have a LGBTQIA plus support group. We were able to eventually do it only when I like did the red tape steps of we're calling it LGB, not T and SSA support group. So Mm -hmm. like I had to, so even just stepping into the the whole comprehensive clinic, I had to make those adjustments. Then going into the broader school, I was there when they made the honor code changes and was running that like support group at the time. So saw the like huge emotional whiplash Lash felt the shift for me, like just stepping what, on this. Like in I, case anyone, in case anyone's not aware of what happened, why don't you refresh some of the whiplash? Like what, what happened? Sure. So, and I'm not the best historian, um, but there was a change made to the honor code to remove the language that prevented people from expressing same sex attraction, like the behaviors that like line. So like, a gay couple could hold hands on campus now safely yes okay and you'd be out and there would be no repercussions you wouldn't be reported to the honor code that line was just removed quietly Mm -hmm. but you can't do anything quietly we're all paying attention and so then we kind of like started to maybe celebrate that or notice that and call the honor Mm -hmm. code say like yo what's happening and the feedback from the honor code office was yeah you all can be out you're good like, and so students were posting pictures of them and kissing, their same-sex partner uh, kissing yeah. in front of, like, the Brigham Young statue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, coming and up then, for the first time ever. Yes, yes. And then and, what happened? And then there was a clarification <laughs> where the CES leadership, well, Q15 to CES leadership said, oh, no, oh, no, 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 oh, oops. <laughs> we didn't kidding. yeah you're not you're not allowed to do that so Take they had back. To, yeah they had to add back in language which meant that those who had become like out and proud or like acknowledged they were in a relationship could now be reported and so that was like a huge whiplash moment for people to be like I just outed myself and my girlfriend yeah. and we're not gonna break up so like are we kicked out of school now like what is happening yeah people felt set up yeah hard to not see it like that too when I think it was I'm maybe a little bit more like generous but I I think it was naivety uh, from the leadership like from the honor code yeah that they like wouldn't even think that that could happen because that's not part of 
You shared that you felt some personal whiplash. Do you feel safe enough to share what you experienced? Yeah, and I've shared this in other places, but um, thankfully I had um, my practicum class that day with um, Dr. Hunt and he is very emotion-based. So he like led us through like, wait, how are you all doing? Mm -hmm. And I like actually took time to like sit with myself and sit with my emotions. And it was um, the exact same emotions I was experiencing that day were the same that I felt when I've experienced miscarriages. Mm-hmm. It oh, was wow. like loss and mm-hmm. sadness and heartache. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a, that's, that's brutal. Yeah, because there's that flame, right? There's that little flame of hope. Mm-hmm. And I struggled with infertility for almost 10 years. So any little flame of hope was precious. And so we would like hang on to it and like try to feed the flame as much as we had any control over, right? Which was none, none. Mm -hmm. And then to have that flame snuffed out and to feel that loss, both like physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, it was the same experiences. Uh, That's awful. That's That's awful. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Lacey, for sharing that. So BYU was was kind of a contradiction. Like you had your little safe haven, your little island, and then the rest of it was, you know, you, you're you're like the Vatican, your own little country mm-hmm. in the middle of this larger thing. Um, what was your ward like, and and how how did the commute your your community, your congregation? interact with you embrace you yeah so the word on the street from people who had lived in Provo what when we knew we were moving here I like asked everyone like I don't know Utah I don't know Provo like what's your advice and they all said South Provo you have got Mm -hmm. to live in South Provo that's where like the cool kids hang out that's where there's like diversity and culture ethnicity SES like all the identities are like present and like there's this really safe haven kind of like there was in the MFT department. There's this little safe haven of people who are struggling through life the same way. And we hold each other the same way. So we found a great rental in South, in South Provo. Um, For those who are from here, it was South of center street. I like the 300 and 300. Mm, Cool. Mm -hmm. West 300 South. So in that space and the ward was like exactly like we were kind of like told like the bishop was a young bishop who had like a young family and he was like voraciously curious about everybody had invited us over for dinner um, after moving in and like got to know us and was excited to get to know us and our neighbors were excited to get to know us and like walked over and would like come and greet us and talk to us and then I got we my husband and I have been in a lot of leadership positions because we've been in like college towns where there was a need for like strong Mormon folks. So he's been elders porn president multiple times. I've been in, you know, women's presidencies and relief society presidencies. And so they got us into leadership positions really quickly. And they're like putting us to work because they're like, you're here to work. You're able to work. We need you. So like get in here. And so we got, so at one point, I was like in the PhD program, pregnant with my second child, the pandemic hit, and I was in the Relief Society presidency, and I was working. 
so many things. Yes. Oh. It was wild, but I was supported enough by the presidencies that I was a part of and the people I was in the presidencies with. And we're like very culturally diverse, very um, diverse as far as our experience in the church and our like time in the church. Um, people were going through major life changes like divorce and or children, like, like launching children out of the home. Like we were just in the thick of it together. Like those who have maybe served outside of um predominant Mormon areas know the kind of word I'm talking about like Mm -hmm. there's work to be done and we're doing the work and there is community and connection in this and what was wild to me about in Utah was then it was like within this like three block radius (laughs) it was so awesome yeah yeah but those Mm -hmm. kind of words are so they're so lovely I was in Boston for 22 years and nobody cared what you believe they're just like well will you take a calling well, I, mm-hmm. I don't care if you're an atheist will you teach seminary you're like well I guess okay great you're going to teach seminary then mm-hmm. like nobody cared <laughs> yeah and we had we had a little insurgence of like the like newly married college kids not a ton but enough um to be like probably a third of the ward and so we would have like relief society meetings where we'd have like and how do we what does prayer mean to you or why is it important? And we would have like a, a no shade, but a newly married little Utah woman mm-hmm. raise her hand. Like, prayer to me is a way to connect with Christ and my heavenly father. And we'd be like, congratulations. No, like, no, they were. And then we'd have like 40 hands shoot up of like our, like people who have had more life experience. Yeah. And they would listen when I was in the depths of my divorce and my husband was off rampaging and my kids were like, like, like exploding with their behavior problems. And I was like trying to get a job and trying to get the stuff. I like could close my door for one minute and get that one moment of prayer with God. And that like kept me going through the day. <laughs> it was like, that's what prayer is. Yeah. 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 So that was wow. that. That it's a privilege to be in a ward like that. Yes, yes. It, it, it's like a little Zion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tell about, I heard you tell this story once, and I want to hear it again, about the most interesting um, youth activity that, that oh. you um, took the kids on. Okay, so, and there's actually two, so I kind of have to separate out because okay. we, before the podcast started, talked about it. So the first one was not a youth activity. The first one was my bishop. So throughout my PhD program, I worked at Encircle Therapy. Um, for those who don't know, Encircle is an LGBTQ resource center for youth and their families here in Utah. Um, and there's multiple homes that you can go to where they have different programming and therapy um, and different guest speakers and programs for parents as well as youth. So beautiful little Zions within themselves. And my bishop... I was a little hesitant to say like, hey, I I work as a therapist at Encircle. Um, I was a little hesitant to say that. And he was like, oh, great. Can I come by sometime for a tour? And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, that is not the like answer I thought I would get from you or the response. I was like, sure. So we set up a time for a tour and in he walks with him and his three girls mm-hmm. that are like in their like youth ages and a little bit younger. And he's like, and so I give the tour kind of like the script. And then we get to this one point and he looks at me and he says, 
Lacey, I need you to tell my children why a place like this is needed in this area. Mm. And I was like, well, okay. Not every kid has the support that you all may have in your home. And so this home exists to be a safe haven for kids who are rejected from their families because of their queer identities. And he's like, thank you. Mm -hmm. So that was part one of him being amazing. Part two is then later, a little bit later on, the Young Women's Presidency reached out to see if they could come to celebrate therapy um, or if I could come meet with them or we could meet somehow because they were having, um, they're wanting to have an important conversation with their young women that affirmed their unique identities mm-hmm. as their young women were coming out. So I said, yeah, come to celebrate if that feels good. I mean, we're like two blocks up from the ward boundaries, if not within the ward boundaries. Mm-hmm. So like, come on in and let's sit around and talk. And the Bishop Rick all came and we all sat around and had like real conversations about gender identity and pronouns and sexual orientation. And what does that look like at girls camp? And what does that look like in this young women's group? And how do we have an affirming young women's group? Mm. It was like the spirit was so strong in that space. And I would like dart my eyes over at Bishop and be like, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like dating is okay as long as we keep the law of chastity, right? And he was like, yep, that is correct. Mm-hmm. So he was so all supportive. in. So supportive. Oh my gosh. <clears throat> And it and then, for young women because it was different than they've been told their whole lives. Did you get any like positive feedback from kids or parents? I mean, did anyone, you know, like let you know, like that really mattered? Yes. Yeah. The young women, even in the moment, like uh, one young woman like took pictures and like posted about it on social media and was mm-hmm. like, I can't believe like this kind of place exists and you exist and you're just like an out queer Mormon woman. Like, okay, this is so cool. Mm-hmm. And they were just like uh, amazed. I was amazed alongside them that like this place does get to exist here. Oh, uh, so special and so helpful. And I love that. I was thinking about that earlier when you, when you were talking about your own family. I was like, oh, I'm so glad Lacey had supportive parents because not everyone does. And so I'm glad they're able to pass that on and, and help the, the youth in the Provo area. Go ahead. I want to share a story where I feel like Lacey was really, where I feel the spirit was involved and Lacey was really inspired. So this one day in class, we, um, some people were, were sort of role playing as if there was a a child who was coming out as trans and, and the mother was really opposed and, you know, the stamp, like this family was trying to navigate it. And so Lacey made each one of us in class go around and practice saying to the mother, would you rather have a live straight child or a dead trans one? Something to that effect. And every one of us, I think, cried when we did it. Like it was, it was super, super, you know, emotional. Literally within 24 hours, I had that conversation with the parent of one of my clients. And because Lacey had had us practice it, I went into that conversation with so much confidence and the spirit. Mm -hmm. And I just knew, 
I felt totally guided how to do that. And it made a big difference for, for my client who was suicidal. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, that was a powerful day. Yeah, we, we often left crying. We often left crying. <laughs> Everyone's like, what's going on in there? Mm-hmm. Why, 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 why is your mascara smeared? Mm-hmm. Don't worry about it. We're just having big moments. Big feelings. <laughs> We're just feeling things. I love it. I love it. Okay, so for a pivot to make it a little lighter, I love how like somber and like <laughs> holy this has been feeling, but I also want to keep it so it's not just Lacey bearing her soul. I also want to know what media is out there, like podcasts, movies, shows that have positive LGBTQIA plus identities and which ones you feel like are like not helpful, but think they're being helpful just to help people. Like what are good like intros to people or uh, intros for people who are wanting to like understand, explore, support? Yeah. What ideas do you have? Yeah, so we have kind of like the intro crew of podcasts right now, which is like questions from the closet, listen and love, or listen, learn and love, and then lift and love. Mm-hmm. I always get them all mixed up. So we kind of have that group. It's three. So I'll say it one more time for clarity, but questions from the closet with Charlie Bird and Ben Shalati, then listen, learn and love with Papa Osler. And then um, the lift in love is with a variety of people, um, kind of depending on the group of support that you're going for. Mm-hmm. Um, so like for parents. And then the Mama Dragons group just started a podcast too. So those are great like first touch points for like parents who are like, how do I navigate this and have these hard conversations, especially in the LDS world? Mm-hmm. Like that's those are probably going to be your go-to's. And what I love about like questions from the closet is even if you don't like listen to the podcast, listen to the stories of queer people and how they've navigated this space, you can go onto the website and just look at the questions that they ask because the questions um, are the podcast title. So you could, as an activity with your child, like sit with them and ask those questions and first sit with yourself and ask those questions but then with your child, sit and ask those questions and have really tender conversations because your child's experience is going to be unique to them. Mm-hmm. But that's a really great way for you to get some exposure to like, what's the terminology? What are we working with? What does this look like in the church? How have people navigated this from diverse backgrounds? Those are going to be great, like first exposures. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. And then um, thinking about like TV shows, so not even LDS specific, I'm not saying BYU TV, but just TV shows that are out there. Yeah. So the, some the movie, yeah. The biggest movie I want to plug right now is Nimona. Nimona is on Netflix. It was written by a trans man. Um, and we adore him because we've gotten as a like clinical team, we're like huge fans because we've gotten to see his like transition. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're just like, He's the greatest. Um, but he wrote Nimona is a graphic novel he wrote in college before he transitioned, before he understood his trans identity. And it so beautifully encapsulates the experience of trans folks who are so misunderstood in society. Mm. Um, they even have a whole sequence of like the adult figure trying to connect and ask really tricky questions or try to like navigate like how do I talk about you 
and Nimona kind of pushing back and being like, even that question is really offensive. Mm-hmm. And like that is maybe not a helpful way to approach this topic with me. Mm-hmm. It's it's on Netflix and it's rated PG just yeah. for for people. Great, good day. And it's a it's a um it was anime. a novel and it's animated show. Okay. And it's so powerful, so so powerful. So I would invite everyone. I when it came out, um, my husband and I and my two little babies, because it is PG, I have a five and a half year old and a two and a half year old. And we all snuggled in bed and watched it together. Mm. And it is a little bit more like violent and intense. My two and a half year old fell asleep because it was at night. But my five and a half year old was like, that was a little bit scary. Mm. That was a little bit scary. But then after a couple of days, um, he kind of like acted out Nimona as like a shapeshifter and like really did connect to the message of it. So it was really yeah. sweet. Awesome. And then there's other shows like Heartstopper just came out with season two. Heartstopper is a really great like romance. Like if you want an idea of like what is queer romance mm-hmm. instead of like the over-sexualization of queer bodies. Mm-hmm. It's just like a very tender romantic show. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a great one. We have shows like Pose, which speak to the um, the BIPOC, queer BIPOC experience but especially black trans women in new york um at the like in the early 80s and all throughout the 80s um who are doing the underground drag balls so pose is really powerful Mm -hmm. um if you're ready to kind of dive into like that more intense experience um that show like every episode is just like weeping because it is like just so raw but like messages i needed to like be aware of like the experiences that people had gone through and go through now. Yeah. I mean, I could keep going. <laughs> no, these are awesome. Maybe like one or two more. I don't know. I'm like, right. Yeah. I mean, I haven't watched any of these. I'm really excited to explore them. Another one similar to that is um, disclosure. It's a documentary about how trans people have been represented in media. So disclosure oh. is a really great documentary. Um, you could watch even like something a little more like, I'm doing quotes with my fingers, like mm-hmm. family friendly, like queer eye. Like mm-hmm. we love that message of queer eye of like empowerment and like you are beautiful and like your uniqueness needs to be celebrated just as you are. Mm-hmm. Right. We don't need so to like push that away. My my girls and I, we made my mom um watch Queer Eye, my 91 year old mother. And after the first episode, she just was weeping and she said this is what ministering is supposed to all be all about. Oh. I wish the people in my ward could watch this so that they would know how they're supposed to serve each other. Oh, it was the most tender thing. Oh. I love that if our ministering was like queer eye. Honey, I know. Honey, watch out. I'm going to be place. Oh, that would be amazing, amazing. Okay, thank you so much for those recommendations, and we'll we'll put them in the show notes as well. That's awesome. Um, okay. Another question. Thank you, Lacey, for humoring all of our questions. Um, is what advice would you give to, so I have three, three parts, parents to questioning LGBTQ people and to fully their fully actualized or mostly actualized LGBTQ people to help them. So again, parents questioning, like questioning individuals and then 
more more in their identity so the like first step in any sort of space like this is to like look to your sphere around you so for parents um, a lot of peer support is important as you're navigating your children's identities Um, so that's where groups like lift and love and mama dragons can be so vital Mm -hmm. is parents often feel like I don't know how to do this this is so different I didn't want this I have very clear ideas about what the plan of salvation is and what the covenant path means for my child so how do I even like have any sort of reconciliation with that and their unique identities And so those are really safe spaces for peer groups, parent to parent conversations to where parents can hold each other through those challenging um, issues. Yeah, thank you for naming that. Because I also am thinking, as you raise those questions, I'm thinking about even my own parents and some of my siblings that left the church and just how do they, so it wasn't sexuality or gender identity, but it still is the, yeah, I think more, more peer support for my parents. Yes, that would be awesome. And isn't that ministering? Like now we're just going to get because I grew up. I could go. I like pop off on every topic. Back in the day in visiting teaching, where we had to travel like two hours because our ward boundaries were ridiculous huge. My mom would like put me in the car with her and go visit her sisters who were on the fringes of that area and like sit in their homes and sit with them through the pain. So like, that's where I learned how to be a therapist is like seeing my mom be that kind of visiting teacher. Me too. Me too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that peer support is what ministering could be too. And I think we should count it among like, if you need to count your hours of ministering or your, um, let your Relief Society president see no, like, have you done your ministering? this month or this quarter you can say like yes um i have shown up for my peers in big ways yeah. or have gotten support from my peers in big ways mm-hmm. so that's where i would start there um i would hope that like local leadership could be supportive in helping you access those resources as well as like occasionally depending on the stake or the ward there may be a parent support group for parents with lgbtqia plus children um those are pretty rare uh few and far between but there are more of them um happening every year that like we get more and more experience with this there's more and more support out there for it Mm -hmm. so i think that's where the local leadership could help for sure um and then for people who are like in that questioning space um they're gonna do this kind of naturally is like google everything (laughs) it's like am i a lesbian do i like women what does that mean what is bisexuality what if um i feel really like masculine does that make me a man right and so like Mm. people are gonna google and google and research and research and research and like do that please do that but then also find a way to like have a sounding board like a therapist um because typically like if we're talking about youth your other friends don't have the emotional intelligence, like not slamming on your friends, but they're also like figuring themselves out too. Hopefully, ideally a parent would be able to sit with you in this, but if you don't feel safe enough bringing this to your parents yet, um, then a therapist or an adult that you really trust would be a great space to say like, Hey, 
I've been doing some research mm-hmm. and this really like feels congruent with my identity. And these are terms and labels I want to use to describe myself. Like, can you help me figure that out? Mm. Awesome. Thank you. And how that. much should parents intervene with extended family? For example, I've got a friend who has a child who is non-binary and uses a different name and the grandparents refuse to use this different name. And then that sort of trickles down. And like, what do you do? Do you, do you boycott family events? Like how, how do you establish boundaries to, to protect and validate your kid without totally cutting off family? So that's a great question for your child, right? Like each child is going to need a different experience with that. Some may need you to, for a time, cut off family. And you may have to just let that child know, like, I will continue to check in with them to see if they're ready. Um, But until you feel safe, like, we don't have to engage in those activities or with those people. But let's work on that becoming a safer space for you. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it may be that, like, your child is actually, like, quite connected to their extended family members. And so all you're doing is, like, providing phone numbers to them so that they can text their family members and, like, um, do the work themselves of like letting people know their identities. It really depends on like the child situation and what kind of support they need from you, but they need your undying love and support. This is like my biggest soapbox with attachment is like love needs to flow freely from the parent to the child, not the other way around. Mm-hmm. And so parents, you need to be and in that space of support and advocacy um, and if you don't know something, like it's on you to go find out and then check back in with your kid to say like, hey, I found out this information. I'm curious how this fits for you or what do you want us to do in our home? How can we address you around grandparents or how can we help you navigate the school system? Like we are in your corner. Mm-hmm. How can we show up for you? Mm-hmm. Thank you. I like that. Thanks. And then for people who are out and proud. Um, I talk about sphere of influence. So um, what is your immediate sphere of influence? So like your family members, your um, friends, your ward, um, if you feel really supported and have your chosen family and can feel like you can take some risks into advocacy, that's a great start. But you don't have to like go from like zero to a hundred. You can start with just like, I'm going to like wear a pin to church on Sunday or I'm going to like let some people know that my pronouns are um, maybe different than they are assuming they are. And I'm going to start with that little sphere. And then as I get a little more confidence and kind of get some scripts for how to talk about this, then that sphere can be a little bit bigger. And then maybe I can get to the point where I'm like advocating with extended family or with my stake at the stake level, or even like being on podcasts or opening queer clinical practices in Provo, Mm -hmm. Utah. Like, what is your sphere? And just start small and grow from there. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. I love that advice for all these different groups and um, figuring out where where you are and how you can help, um, whether that's yourself or others. And thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Here's a question that Heather and I were like, should we ask? You were excommunicated. Are mm-hmm. you in a mood to talk about it? And what does your spirituality look like now? Do you still go to church? How did the process go as much or as little as you want to share? 
Yeah, I'm very, very comfortable talking about it. I'm still not in a space where like I can touch down into the emotions of it because those mm-hmm. emotions are really raw and vulnerable. But like the facts of the situation, I'm comfortable talking about. So um, my spirituality, as far as like level of intensity is the same, where like I'm still very connected to the divine, have had to be in a lot of really hard conversations with the divine lately um, because I am frustrated and angry with how it was done. So I moved to a new ward, new stake boundaries um, and was socially shunned for 18 months which meant I didn't receive any ministering assignments. No one was allowed to minister to me, although my like Relief Society president was assigned to minister to me. Um, mm. I was such a, and I don't want to say this, but if you know, you know, Relief Society presidents have the like burden to carry some of the more troubled folks sometimes. And like, I'm in that category. Like I was mm. very confused. And I wasn't allowed to like participate in my Relief Society meetings or comment. Um, I like, was did they tell you don't say anything? No, but they wouldn't. Okay. Like, like they, they wouldn't, wouldn't call, call any. Oh, wow. For me. Oh, yeah. wow. <laughs> Heather exaggeratedly raised her arm. Pick me, pick me. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I would raise my hand and they would speak for me. Wow. Oh, my word. So I was yeah. like, whoa, people are being that direct? Haha. <laughs> no, they're being no. very passive aggressive. Yeah, very aggressively passive aggressive. Yeah, it was wild. And we live, I mean, it's Utah. So, like, my house is on the opposite side of the street from the board building. Like, I live across the street from the church. Like, to come and visit me is like, I don't know, a couple steps. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you just walk over. But the bishopric never came to visit us when we moved into the ward. The Relief Society presidency never came to visit us. No one ever inquired about how our children were doing. And we have primary age children and nursery age child at the time. And like, no one was like, I'm used to wards who are like, here we go. Let's go. You're in. You're in. Like, we want to get to know you. We got to know you. Great. You're a strong leader. Great. Here, come in. Yeah. We were not allowed to participate. We were not given callings for the whole those 18 months like and so they were want they were trying to make you leave yeah a message was being sent and i heard it loud and clear and how did they i mean if they don't know you how can they did you have a record kick you out like i don't understand because it sounds like your bishop your other bishop loved you yeah did the stake president like warning warning here's a my assumption and this like i don't know anything so i'm making like really blanket assumptions here is that maybe like my relief society president knew i was like an out queer woman who like owned a queer therapy practice Mm. and like was uncomfortable with me engaging with the other women in the ward but that's like as much so then in the so that you don't seduce the other women in the ward listen i will (laughs) (laughs) Uh, let me please look out oh my god Yes, well, I mean, it would it would break her brain because she's probably one of those people who's like, I can never be alone with a man because sex will mm-hmm. happen. And if someone's bisexual, then I can't even be alone with a woman. So, right, so I can't allow her to go minister to other women in their yes, homes. Yes. Lord, can you imagine what shenanigans they could get up to? Like, yeah, I'd be folding their laundry and feeding their children. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> Very predatory. Yeah. <laughs> and and mowing their lawn because I am a butch woman. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Like, yeah, no, the okay. only grooming that will happen is if your children have lice and I am actively removing the net. <laughs> that is the grooming. <gasps> I have done that as a visiting teacher. Oh. I have I have picked lice out of people's heads. Yes, but I've never been treated like that. And I knew, I knew that that was the risk I was taking in being out. Mm -hmm. I have had enough experiences within leadership roles where people have treated others like that. And so I kept my mouth shut tight. Like no one was going to know I was queer because I knew I would be socially ostracized. Mm -hmm. And when it like actually happened, I was dumbstruck. I was like, this is insanity. Like, this can't be happening to me. I'm a strong, powerful leader. Like I own a clinical practice, a team of 20 people, like get me into a ward. I'll run that board. Like yeah. and forwards, like let me run a girl's camp. Like let's go. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I have this capacity and it was not being utilized and that, and it wasn't even being like asked like, Hey, how would you like to help? Right. I mean, um, and as, as human beings, I think sometimes we don't fully appreciate what social creatures we are and how shunning is like one of the most powerful and cruel things that we can do. I mean, I've had clients who suffered physical sexual abuse and they rank that much lower than being bullied yeah. because that social ostracization is like the most painful thing yeah and it, it was wild because I wasn't being validated right away even my husband was like no I bet they just forgot about us like it's a big ward people move in and out like I don't think it's a big thing and I would talk with people and they're like I don't know like maybe talk mm -hmm. with your society president like maybe it's on you to be more proactive and I was like no it's not on me to be more proactive like I'm a new member of your ward, come and greet me and like get to know my family and let us serve with alongside you. Right. Right? It, you need to invite us to be in that space with you. And we want to be in that space with you. And so we did bring it up with our bishop at one point and our stake president at one point. So through those 18 months, we had like a meeting. I had an ecclesiastical endorsement because at the time I was an adjunct professor instructor at BYU so I had an ecclesiastical endorsement for that. And then I had, we had our temple recommend interviews and we brought it up multiple times and like no action was taken to invite us in. Did they deny it? Did they gaslight you and say, no, that's not happening? They said like, oh, that is so weird. We'll get back to, we'll like get to the bottom of it and then get back to you. Mm -hmm. And then radio silence. And I think, yeah, I think I assume like, oh, it's the, I, I guess my assumption was like, oh, it's the like bishopric being bad, but it sounds like what you're saying is also the Relief Society, which breaks my heart too. I'm just yeah. like women hating on women. Ah. Yeah, that's not the space we're trying to create. So at a certain no. point, and this is where the like, we're all social creatures. When we are rejected from our communities to that level, we are going to act out mm -hmm. to get attention, right? So mm -hmm. I did start like, exploring um cbd and thd i did i didn't drink at that time but then i had a conversation with my husband about maybe like 
opening up our marriage and dating AFAB people. So um, both women and like non-binary people. And we're like, do we step into that space? Like, what are we doing here? What's happening? Like, these are not conversations that we had planned on having ever. So I kind of did the like little and like drinking coffee. So I did like little rebellions um, because I was just like, I needed some semblance of control that like mm. you know, things are okay. I'm I'm not like, I'm going to like be the like rebellious teen to get attention. Right. And that didn't work either. So I just like felt the rejection more and more intensely oh. and just like said then like middle fingers up as I like walked by the church or like drove by the church every day and like, fine, then I'm going to do whatever I want. Right. If I am not welcome here, then I will find spaces. I am welcome. Yeah. Hmm. This had to break your parents' heart. Oh, because yeah. this is not the community they raised you in. No, they're very angry. Yeah. They're very, very angry. But then it came down to that rebellion escalating to the point where I did break temple covenants although I did covenant with my husband who covenanted with the Lord and so I did talk with him and he okayed me having mm-hmm. sex outside our marriage so really I didn't break a temple covenant but <laughs> but um we did get to the point where we opened up our marriage and I was in a relationship with someone and had sex with them and so then then everyone swarmed within a week of me like disclosing that publicly like we got a knock on the door and the Bishop Rick came running. The state presidency came running. Like it took one week from like when I aired a podcast saying I kissed a girl to when I was in the Bishop's office meeting with him about um, were temple covenants broken. I was like, you all didn't care about me for the last mm-hmm. 18 months. Like, why are you? Oh my all God. No. Me? no. Can't make the church oh. look bad. Ugh. Right. When discipline um, was needed like they led with that instead of loving kindness mm-hmm. yeah I'm so sorry it's just it's not right it's not right and at the same time it is the catalyst I needed to be able to live authentically in identity that yeah. I, I tell people like I had to hang up being bisexual and being polyamorous I, I hung those those parts of me up Every time I went into the temple or every time I went into a church building, I knew those parts of my identity weren't welcome there. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are parts of who I am. They're intimate parts of who I am. And the mm-hmm. way I practice them is like really meaningful to me. And so it was really hard that it happened. And the way it happened is really unfortunate. And the space I get to be in now is authenticity. Where we went through the excommunication process it was awful and is awful thinking that um, the link in my family that I was so proud to bear of being like um, from some pioneer heritage and like linking even with my immediate family past several generations, having done the temple work for family members who weren't Mormon and like linking us all together And then knowing that I was going to be a chain link that was broken so that now my children don't have access to that connection in the same way I had hoped they would or thought they would my whole life um, has been really, really traumatic. 
Because that's a really traumatic narrative. The empty chairs, the, the don't break the chain, all of that. That's a that's a almost impossible narrative to to succeed at. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm the only one left active in my family. I have no chain. My my table is empty. <laughs> mm. You know? And and I reject that metaphor. I'm like, no, no, I don't believe that. I don't believe that's how heaven is. I don't believe that's how God, divinity, I don't believe that. I reject that narrative. Mm-hmm. And it's so hard that it came down to like one single question of like, so there really during the excommunication process, during the council with our state presidency, we had a lot of like instruction and we had time to speak and I could go into depth talking about that. But the two questions that are really relevant was, do you even want to be Mormons or members of the church anymore? And I said, I'm sitting here today knowing that like that question isn't my choice to answer. Yeah. Right. I have always been a Mormon. I will always be a Mormon. Whether mm-hmm. I get to engage and participate in this church, in this congregation is like up to you all. Like mm-hmm. you're making me come sit here so you can tell me that I don't get to participate. I'm not hey. the one who's making that call. Yeah. That's such a rude <laughs> question and like baiting almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the other question is, was like, okay, you had sex outside of marriage. Are you going to continue to do that? And I was like, why is this about my sexual behavior? Like yeah. in every other way, like I am a very like worthy member of the church again, air quotes, because I, I believe that like the connection to the divine, like God does freely give me love. Um, regardless of my poor behaviors right he wants mm-hmm. to see me live in my authenticity and celebrates my authenticity with me alongside me so when it can, comes down to like yeah but who are you having sex with and how often and when I'm like ah, yeah can we not grow past this yeah like why yeah. is my sexual activity the and, thing that my membership is hung and on? is it is it I would reject that it's a sexual activity and it was the, the openness because we all know you could go down a ward list. <laughs> right. Let's say, like, is it because you, a woman is having sex? Like you're just thinking out. about the patriarchy you, aspect. You're out. I mean, come on. I mean, we all know that, but it's like, like it's, if we're going to count pornography in there, not to hate on pornography, I love pornography, but like, right. if we're going to count that in this list, the three men who are having this conversation with me should be yeeted from the church as well. Right. And guarantee team, you that they have seen pornographic images or read pornographic literature in their lives. Right. In their married yeah. lives. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think it's about the public. I think it, it's the, it's, it's, it's this, idea of somehow one of the in working on the the history of exponent um general authorities came to the women the board and they were like you you've got to stop this magazine people think you're thumbing your noses at the brethren and like that was like the highest most violating thing that they could and they're like what are you talking about like this isn't all about you yeah like what like we're just Uh, sharing our truths here like nobody's got you in our crosshairs like we got bigger fish to fry 
It's literally not about you. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. It's like the, the fragility of the patriarchy, or, yeah. which is not all about horses, in case anyone wasn't sure if patriarchy was all about horses or not. <laughs> just have to get my Barbie reference. Barbie so. reference. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so, so oh. yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Lacey. Um, do you have any... So, I was going to say, how has your faith expanded now? Yeah. So I actually just, I love that you asked that question because I had this really profound experience just last weekend where I had this profound, um, like emotional experience that like specifically around my Sabbath day worship, like my Sabbath day has expanded, um, really to fill my entire weekend and yes, like could fill my every day, could fill my whole week, right? Right. But like really, like my Sabbath day worship did go from like hustle, scream, fight, get church clothes on, <laughs> keep the kids in the pew, be embarrassed when they would run around and yell, but like keep my cool because I couldn't be embarrassed about my two-year-old. Um, so like, and then like figure out to go to like relief society or class with my kids, like. Like that was my Sunday, Sabbath day worship and then go home and nap because I was so worn out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And instead that's expanded to now, like my weekends are full of adventures with my children. We go into the mountains together. We go swimming together. We spend the whole weekend embraced in this like luxurious familyhood. Mm-hmm. And to me, that has been like an expansion of my Sabbath day practice. Mm-hmm. And it's become like such a holy place for me. That I just, yeah, I love that you asked that, asked that like expansion question because it has expanded outside of the borders that I had limited it to previously. I love that because you are so spiritual mm-hmm. that, that there, that, and I'm glad that you found a way that just is working for you and working for the whole family. Mm-hmm. Are you kidding? My children love family time. You all, you all who have little children or who have seen little children around their moms and dads and parents in general know how they just like squeeze your face and kiss you and just like want to be held by mm-hmm. you and just like absorb their bodies back into you and that's just mm-hmm. how as a little crew it's so tender yep. I love it thank you for sharing the pain and then some of the some of the joy um that you are carving out for yourself and your family we aren't affiliated with the church. If you could, what what would your PSA, public service announcement, be to um, the LDS Church? If you could send a letter, what would it say? Like, what would like? What, I guess, like, obviously, change needs to happen. So this was where, in my excommunication council with the stake council, <laughs> two different councils, but you get it, mm-hmm. um, with the state council members there was a moment where I had like some prepared bulleted points and was like curious about how I wanted to address those points of them and mid council. So we were in the council for like mm, probably an hour. And so during the portion when I was talking um, midway through what I was sharing, I kind of checked in with the divine again to say like, Hey, like, where do we want to take this? And it was a shift from like, they've already made their decision. So they're not really going to listen to you. And Mm so let's switch to like, um, talk to them as fathers instead of like 
priesthood leaders. Mm-hmm. And so I, my PSA is to like go to that parenthood space and learn how to like freely love your children to celebrate their unique identities because as children of God, like we have the beautiful opportunity to care for this child um, in a way that is like fully loving, fully embracing all that they are, all that our father created them to be right. So in our parenthood space, how can we show up for our kids fully? So that's my PSA is to switch from the administrative work to like take the doctrine we've been given the counsel on gender, that it is divine. Mm-hmm. Right. And if gender is divine and my child is telling me their gender, then I am going to honor that because it is their divine gender and they are the ones who know it. Right. And so I'm going to help be a guide and a mentor for them navigating the biological body that they're in because we're all born with unique issues with our biological bodies and need help from like real world people (laughs) on how to mentor that. So as parents, can we help that mentor them so that they can navigate the world in a way that's safer for them in a way that they get to be loved fully and celebrated fully for their unique identities. And so that's where like, I wouldn't really want my PSA to be to the like leadership structure um, or the administrative structure, it would be to humans as like mm. parents and to ourselves. And how could we reparent ourselves with gentleness and abundant love? Um, because we are children of God. And if we believe that, then we believe how precious we are. So can we treat us as the precious beings that we are, the noble and great ones that I was told that would mm. exist on the earth during this time? Right. If I'm a noble and great one. If my children are noble and great ones, oh my gosh, the responsibility I have to help foster their unique identities and help them expand beyond the borders of their like human body. Like that's the work I want to be involved in. Thank you so much, Lacey. And like as you're saying that I was thinking, that. thinking of like we're it's not we're not just trying to reproduce the 1950s, like stay in your lane type. We're trying to fit in with the greater United States like I'm nervous that that's the direction we continue to go um with uh, with the current church policies so this like pot this like shift to abundant love and reparenting ourselves sharing that phrase was Mm -hmm. um really healing and helpful for me to remember because I think yeah it's like trauma you either heal from it or repeat it there's a better phrase of yeah figure out like ways to be there for your children and like you were saying the spheres of influence like who else are you parenting if it's not even your direct children but yes yes and then like treat yourself like a noble and great one Mm. treat your children and those in your sphere of influence like noble and great ones like what a different more christ-like world we'd be able to create absolutely absolutely Thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you so much for your time, Lacey. Where can people find you? Like, are you public on your social media? Like, do you, yeah, share, share your socials with us. So my socials. So you can find me at Dr. Lacey Bagley um, and then at Celebrate Therapy. Um, that's pretty much it. Or like, like Lacey Bagley 
on Facebook. Um, I'm very open to connection, very happy to connect with people, um, open to people reaching out for connection. Yeah, very excited to be in the space of Exponent 2. I had no idea. This is my little plug for Exponent 2. I had no idea that this organization existed. I'm like, imagine <laughs> if I had known this my whole like radical youthhood, like mm. the direction I would have headed in would have been probably the same. But <laughs> I would have gotten there faster. A few a few more friends along the way. Yeah, yeah no, a no. lot more friends along the way and a lot less social ostracism. Well, we're so happy to have you as our as our keynote, our first openly queer keynote speaker. We're just delighted. So excited. So, so excited. So see you, see you in New Hampshire in a month. Very, very excited. Heather and I will be there. Um, And I'll have baby Margot. Her her baby will be there. Mm -hmm. So can I put a plug? I want to put a plug in for the like name of the keynote is letting go of the patriarchal grip. Ooh. So look forward to that topic. Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. All right. Thank you, Lacey. To close up the podcast, I'm going to share some of the words I usually say. We uh, do not get any money from the church. We don't have a million dollar endowment. Help us fund the revolution. You can donate. We're a 501c3. Um, We need to pay for things like the website. Uh, But also, we would love to hear your words. Write for the blog. Write for the magazine. Volunteer for the blog. Volunteer for the magazine. Come to the retreat. Join the writing workshop. There's lots of ways to connect with us. us. Exponent2. That's exponentii.org. Thank you and be well.